That is because dating is a try before you buy market. The job market is becoming a try before you buy market. Welcome to the Veterinary Financial Podcast, where we discuss financial freedom and whole life success. I'm Meredith Jones, an emergency vet in Virginia. And I'm Willie Bidot, a lab animal veterinarian at California. We are excited to announce that registration is open for the Veterinary Financial Summit, which will be held virtually October 22nd and 23rd of 2022. Go to vetfinancialsummit.com to learn more. Our guest today is Dr. Cindy Trice. Cindy is a veterinarian and the founder and CEO of Relief Rover, a platform and community with resources for relief vets and techs and also practices that need relief work. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's go straight to it. So what is a relief veterinarian or a relief technician? I actually love this, that in the United States, we call it relief. In other countries and in the medical profession in the United States, they call it locum, which I'm sure locum is a very nice word, but isn't relief such a nice word because it's so descriptive that you just feel better when you hear it. And so what relief vets do or techs are we travel around and we fill in and we help our colleagues. So that could be for any number of reasons. That could be because a hospital has an associate or an owner who's out on maternity leave. They maybe are at a conference getting some CE. They are taking a hard earned vacation. Maybe they're out sick or injured. Possibly the clinic is just experiencing a higher volume of cases and they need some extra help. Like I live in Florida. And so we get a seasonal uptick in our population every year in the winter. We call them snowbirds. The snowbirds come down to Florida and they bring their pets. So our veterinary clinics fill up. So some veterinary clinics may not need a full-time vet year round, but they have some seasonal upticks where a relief vet can come in and kind of help pick up that extra slack. Sometimes they're looking for an associate, right? And so they have, while they wait to find that perfect connection, they can have a relief vet come in and, and help until they find that perfect fit. And sometimes, and I think we'll talk about this later, the relief vet is the perfect fit. So those are some of the main reasons that people hire relief veterinarians or technicians. Yeah, I did my internship in Florida and come December, all those Canada license plates coming down. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. So how do you get started offering these services? So getting started in relief practice is really actually super simple. It is just a matter of talking to some clinics, getting your name out there and telling them you're available for work. Because right now the supply and demand equation is very much in favor of the relief vet. We have a lot more demand for veterinary services than we have veterinarians to fill that demand and hospitals are struggling. And so as a relief vet, you could get a job pretty much anywhere. I think in any geography, right? Like there's going to be work for you to do. And you can set yourself up as a business. You can set up your bank account. You know, this is my relief bank account and I'm gonna put all of my income in that and spend all of the money out for my business expenses. So you're really kind of keeping track in one bank account. That would be advised when, when you're starting out as well. You can form a business entity. So something like an LLC or a PLLC, and I think we're gonna talk about this in a little bit more detail later, but you, know, you can set up a business entity. 
But honestly, you don't even have to do that to get started. You can literally just go out and get to work. And that's the great thing about a relief business. It's really, really simple. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. It's certainly a lot of bookkeeping. Yes, there is some bookkeeping. Bookkeeping, which Willie likes to do. <laughs> <laughs> yep, weird, weird enough. All things. Yep. So some vets work relief as a side gig, and then some vets choose relief work as a career. And so could you talk more about that, Cindy, just from a career perspective, but then also from a financial perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the great things about relief practice, well, relief practice has been around for a long time. And I think originally in the early days, what relief practice was, you know, single doctor or two doctor practice in town, and they wanted to take a break and they call their colleague down the road and they'd say, hey, can you or your associate come over and cover for me? Or sometimes I think even the way it worked was, hey, can I send my clients over to you? We're shutting our clinic down. And they're mm -hmm. like, sure, we'll take them and we'll send them back. So that was kind of like how relief worked. And then I think it evolved a little bit where it became more of a thing where people would become relief veterinarians as sort of a career choice, whether that was for their whole career or for a period of time that it worked for them. And then staffing agencies starting to pop up to kind of help these veterinarians find work. And, you know, at the time, it may not have been as easy to find work as a relief vet. So a relief vet had a little more risk in starting that business than we do in today's current market. But now I think the cool thing is being a relief practitioner, there are so many ways to do it. So you could be a career relief vet, right? Where you say, you know what, this is what I want to do. I see that this can be a really satisfying career choice for multiple reasons. And those reasons may include that you love helping out your colleagues, that you get this deep sense of satisfaction at coming in and knowing that you are giving another veterinarian a break. And honestly, that is a huge reason for me. I love that feeling. And it is quite the privilege and honor for people to turn their business over to you. They're trusting you with their livelihood and their team and their clients that they have worked hard to cultivate and take care of and their patients. So it's quite a, a privilege to be able to come in and take care of someone else's business. So I find that kind of business to business service very satisfying. But you also have all of these other benefits such as flexibility. So I have a lot of flexibility in my schedule. The autonomy, I love to be my own boss, right? I love that I decide when and where I work. Nobody else decides for me. Variety, I get bored easy. I always call myself a professional sampler. My favorite day on a relief job is my first day in a new clinic. Sure, it's a little nerve wracking sometimes, but it's really fun because that's when I get like the biggest like hit of stimulation at something new and novel. And I'm just wired that way. And I think a lot of people who are attracted to relief work are also wired that way. But another great thing about relief practice is that it can just suit you for a certain period in your career. Gone are the days when a career means I get a job at a company, I work nine to five, or in the case of veterinarians, eight to eight, <laughs> or eight to 10, or whatever the case may be. Oh no, you get in early because uh, you have those records you still need to finish. So seven to 10 you know, five days a week, right? That's the working model that was set up. And you know what? That probably never suited people's lives, right? Mm -hmm. But we crammed ourselves into that. People no longer want 
to cram their personal lives to fit their work life. They want their work life to fit their personal life. And so people change careers, people change jobs on a regular basis, because maybe you have a phase in your life where you've got, you know, no children, you maybe at the moment you have don't have any pets, or you do have pets, but you're they're mobile, you've got a lot of freedom, and you want to travel around, and you want life to be a bit of a, an adventure. Relief practice is great for that time. But maybe you're looking off in the future. And you're saying one day, I want to be a practice owner. And I want to be a parent. And I want to settle down somewhere. But right now, that's not where I am. So relief practice is a great place to be. Or you may be in childcare. Or you may be at a phase in life like I am right now of elder care. And so you need flexibility in your life. So our lives change and we need our careers to change with it. And so relief practice may be a temporary phase, but that's okay. That was, that was a lot. I, don't know. <laughs> I enjoyed it because flexibility is something that I hear a lot, but you went through quite a few stories and I really want to know what is the most common story for a person to just start off, even if it's temporary on relief work. Is it, you know, the person who had to move for some reason or the person who's not happy with their job, with their current position and said, you know what, I'm going to try relief. And then if I can find somewhere else, I'll find it. I think right now with the way our industry is, I think the most common story are people, I call them the escapers. <laughs> They're escaping an unhappy situation, right? Something that doesn't fit. And whether it doesn't fit because it's a you know toxic work environment or a leadership problem or something like that, or whether it doesn't fit because they need more flexibility in their lives, you know, they're caring for kids, they're caring for parents. The people who have found that their current situation doesn't fit, so they're jumping to relief. I don't hear the story as much that, you know, this is a great career choice and I want to be a business to business service provider and I want to help my colleagues. I think sometimes once people get into it, for whatever reason they came to it, I think they end up discovering that relief is a great career choice. But I think that that is not the common way that they get there. I'm going to write down the escapers in my list of new words. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because it's true. The great resignation is the other term that I hear for it. And it's definitely affected our profession. And so do you think there's a trend where we're going to see more relief vets moving forward? I do. I think there's a few trends that are up and coming. I definitely think more people are going to choose relief practice as a career choice. And I also think more people are going to use relief practice as a vehicle for finding their happy place and finding the place they want to go. And I'll give you my theory behind this. So if you think about a dating app or a dating site, right? So imagine you see this perfect person, you read their profile, they're like, oh my gosh, they like, they're holding their dog. They love their parents. They make a ton of money. They're really cute. They're super funny. Everything's perfect or whatever is perfect to you. That's kind of like perfect to me, <laughs> but um, whatever is perfect to you, that's what their profile says. You get to the bottom and it says, let's get married. You would be like, uh, no creeper. Don't even know you. Right. <laughs> and what is that? That is because dating is a try before you buy market. 
the job market is becoming a try before you buy market. People no longer look at that job posting that says, we have a great culture. We have digital radiology. <laughs> we have, you know, this machine or that machine. Then you go in for an interview, which is like a date, and you go in once, maybe twice, and everyone's on their best behavior. And you think, okay, great. And then you sign a bunch of contracts. <laughs> maybe you sign a non-compete and you know you have a honeymoon phase. And then you expect this relationship to last. But if that was dating and you got married that fast, sure, sometimes it works, but a lot of times it doesn't because you learn things about each other that you didn't know were there. And it's not that either party is bad. It's just that it wasn't a good fit. And so I think more and more people are going to flow through relief in order to find a place to land. Yeah, you just sold me on a Netflix show. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like vets that try places for the first time and yeah, the horror stories. Oh yeah, oh my gosh, right? Right? It's heartbreaking, honestly, it, it is heartbreaking. And it, you know, it's not good for the hospitals either because it is very costly. Turnover is costly for a hospital. Recruiting is costly for a hospital. And so it actually behooves the hospital as well to invest in this dating, you know, because they're much more likely to keep their associate and keep them happy. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about how to get paid doing relief work. And we actually have a blog about this that we'll link in the show notes. But Cindy, can you explain the difference between getting paid as a W-2 employee versus a 1099? Yes, absolutely. So if you're a relief practitioner working with your own business as a true business to business service provider, it is much better to be paid as a 1099. And here's why. Because as a 1099, which is basically just sort of the government's designation, if you are not an employee of the company, and it has to do with your taxes and the taxes that you have to pay. So as a 1099, you are going to invoice the clinic, which is your client. So you're going to invoice your client, and then you are going to have to pay taxes on that income. You're going to have to pay your state and federal income taxes, as well as FICA or self-employment taxes, which is basically your share of Medicare and Social Security. So you have to pay taxes, and then you also have to pay them quarterly. So that all seems like a big hassle, right? But it's really not that hard. Once you get into a cadence of it, and I always recommend that relief veterinarians have a relationship with the CPA. Those professionals are well worth it. And I always know this is the thing when I'm talking to relief vets about a CPA, like vets are DIY. We love to do it ourselves. We love to think that we can do everything. And you know what? We're pretty good at it, right? Because we have to sort of troubleshoot all sorts of things. But we get super frustrated if a client comes to us and says, well, my breeder said this or Google said this. And we're like, oh, man, why don't you listen to us? We're the professionals. We went to school for this. We studied this. Why won't you listen to us? Same thing. The CPAs went to school for this. They studied this. They understand the things that can help save you money. So it is worth paying their fees rather than trying to take the do-it-yourself route. And don't forget, the professional fees of a CPA are a write-off, which leads me to the reason being a 1099 as a relief vet is a good idea because you can write off your business expenses against 
that income. And that's going to lower your taxable income, which will save you money. And a CPA can help you get this organized. And it might sound a little overwhelming at first, but it's not that hard. Now, some relief vets get paid as a W-2, which basically has to do with the IRS and how you're taxed. So as an employee, if you're paid as a W-2, the employer is paying half of your self-employment taxes and taking out your state and federal income taxes for you. But if you're getting paid as a W-2 because you are actually an employee of that company and you're getting benefits and you get a CE allowance, you get paid time off, maybe you can contribute to a 401k and your employer helps contribute, that all makes a lot of sense. But if you're working as a relief vet and you get none of those benefits and you're being paid as a W-2, and you can't write off any of your business expenses against that income, that stops making sense. So yeah, they're going to take your taxes out, but that CE that you want to go to that's going to cost, you know, however much money to travel there and pay the registration fees, you can't write that off against your W-2 income. So to me, it doesn't make any sense for relief vets to be W-2 unless they want to have an arrangement where they are a part or full-time employee and then they're not a really fit <laughs> oh my god that was so much to unpack there i'm like oh we're gonna have to do like an hour or two hour show i guess because it's like okay w2 1099 because you know i do some relief work the whole thing about the accountant there's a threshold where the accountant can save you hundreds to thousands of dollars in time and in your money because a lot of people don't understand what a deduction is and mm -hmm. i learned it the hard way i remember during my internship making i don't know like seven thousand dollars on the side doing relief work all of a sudden came tax time and i was crying i was in that, at that point i was in my residency making forty thousand dollars and the tax bill was almost 3k and i'm like i don't have that money But then I realized like, oh, I should have consulted with an accountant. You know, I was in South Florida. I had to drive 15, 20 miles to this hospital. I took the expressway. You know, those things are very easy tax deductions that I didn't log them. I just didn't thought of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, an accountant is essential. So when you're paid as a 1099 employee, of course, you have to worry about your own taxes and you have to worry about the self-employment taxes. And so you have to think about potentially bringing in more gross income and then you've got all of these write-offs and then you've got to pay taxes. And so is there a rule of thumb to estimate how much you might need to pay in self-employment taxes as a relief vet? Yeah, when you're just starting out, sometimes it can be a little bit trickier because you don't exactly know what you're going to make. But a general rule of thumb would be to save 25 to 30% of each paycheck, which will help cover your share or your self-employment tax and then your federal and state income tax roughly. And it, it, a lot of it depends. And this is where a CPA can help you because it depends on your tax bracket. It depends on how you're filing. Are you filing as a, jointly? Are you filing as a single person? So there's a lot that goes into it, but 25 to 30% to save that out of each paycheck is how I do it. And it literally just goes into a separate account. It just gets transferred to a savings. So then when it comes quarterly tax time, I'm not caught without enough money to pay that. Mm -hmm. 
And it technically, it isn't actually the whole amount of income because you don't owe 25 to 30% of that full paycheck because it's really minus the deductions, your business deductions. But if you set aside, you're not giving this part to the government yet, but if you set aside 25 to 30%, you'll be safe. Mm -hmm. And then your CPA can kind of help you, you know, ours just gives us the forms, you know, this is our, your estimated quarterly taxes. And my estimated quarterly taxes will sometimes change. So my estimated taxes from two years ago may have changed to the next year and changed to the next year, depending on what my income is. Yeah, like you mentioned in Florida, that winter season, man, those taxes are higher just mm -hmm. because you make so much money doing relief. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Uh, that's, yeah, and, and like, I love that rule of thumb of 25, 30%, because again, you do have deductions and whatnot, so it's better to get a surprise come tax season where like, oh, you're gonna get, you know, X amount of money back because you paid extra taxes, which is always great. So... You know, we went through taxes. One other important thing is, you know, I feel like most people that work W-2 don't even consider insurance because they feel like, oh, yeah, my company takes care of all of my insurances. So what kind of insurances should you be thinking about when uh, working solely as a 1099? Well, every veterinarian needs professional liability insurance to practice. That's required of us. And health insurance is obviously really important and can be tricky as a 1099 to find affordable health insurance. Some people can get that through their spouse's work and kind of can get on a group plan that way. But if you're on your own, you know, you can go to the exchange. There are some veterinary companies that help veterinarians specifically with health insurance that can kind of help you find the best price for your circumstances. Because some of it depends on, you know, your... Uh, well, they can't anymore, but pre-existing conditions and, you know, your age and you'll fall into a certain bracket for a price range and they can help you find the right company and the right policy. So health insurance, disability insurance, y'all, this one is important. <laughs> I, and I know this from personal experience. So this one always gets to me. It is so easy when you are young and healthy to think disability insurance is something for later. But disability insurance is going to protect your income. And you do not know when something is going to happen. And the younger and healthier you are when you buy into disability insurance, the better your disability insurance policy is going to be. And I will share my personal experience because I learned the hard way, just like Willie was saying how he learned the hard way about write-offs, is right when I graduated from vet school, I actually got diagnosed with cancer. I did not have disability insurance. I mean, I just didn't even think like I was young ish. I didn't even think that I would need something like that. So that was a little bit of a mess for a little while. And luckily I had resources and I could support myself through that. And I did have health insurance. So that wasn't a problem. But I was like, oh, yeah. And then I had another colleague of mine who I worked with. And this was later after I went through my ordeal. She was young. She was even younger than me when she was diagnosed, diagnosed with cancer randomly. This young veterinarian, she's fine now, but she had no disability insurance. And that girl was working through chemo, radiation. She was an ER vet mm. and she took care of my dog on an ER shift. Like she sent me pictures with the dog, but she would have to go lie down. She'd be like, I'm going to go lie down until another case comes in. Another case would come in. She'd go see it. 
one case would just exhaust her. She'd have to go lie down. But she was doing that because she had no way to support herself through this because she had no disability insurance. So anyway, not to be dramatic, but it is an important type of insurance. Another uh, type of insurance that kind of gets batted around would be workers' comp. Workers' comp, I always feel like it's sort of complicated because it depends on your state, whether you're required to have it or not required to have it. But I guess the general thing I would tell people to think about is figure out, does your state require you to have it or not have it? That's certainly something you can Google. Do you guys give links? Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll give a link for a place where it like gives you the breakdown state by state. So it's just easy to find your state. But the thing to keep in mind, workers' comp is something that hospitals have to buy so that if you are injured on the job, there's an insurance policy that covers that injury. So if you are not their employee, you may not be covered, but you might be covered because it kind of depends. It depends on their policy. It depends on the state regulations. But let's just say you're not covered. So I always thought, oh, well, my health insurance will cover it. But what a health insurance company could do is they could say, we don't cover this because this is an on-the-job injury. Your workers' comp has to cover it. And then workers' comp is saying, we don't have to cover it because you're a 1099. And then you are stuck in this little window where nobody wants to cover you. So it's really important to ask your health insurance company if they cover on the job injuries, because that will help you to know if something like that happens, if you're covered with or without workers' comp. But I have seen more and more hospitals ask relief veterinarians if they have workers' comp. And I've seen more and more relief veterinarians buying their own policies just to make sure they're covered. Yeah, we'll definitely want to share that in the show notes. Any other insurance? The only other one that I think I have talked about is some people, when they sell you professional liability, will sell you general liability. I don't know if we really need that as relief vets. You could think of scenarios where that could come in handy, but they're very weird and rare. But if you carry any kind of equipment around. So like maybe you have your own ultrasound machine or something like that. So if you want to kind of protect any equipment, then you would need insurance for that. I think the rule of thumb is for general liability is if you have a company, you definitely want general liability in the company. As a person, you'll have professional insurance and then you'll have your own umbrella policy. So anything that that doesn't cover your personal umbrella policy should be able to cover. Right. Yeah. So... And I'm sorry, but one last insurance is uh, life insurance. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, you, you know, I've heard your story before and, and, you know, it's definitely something, okay, I definitely need disability insurance, but, you know, I don't have kids, but I would imagine anybody with a kid, you need to have term life insurance. Come on, if anything happens to you, you need that kid to be taken care of. And it's $20, $30 a month. That is a very basic one. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So I think you went over this already, but are there any misconceptions when talking about insurances that you commonly hear? I think to me, the most confusion I've heard is around workers' comp, which it is confusing. So I don't have a tidy story for that or a tidy bit of advice. I do think that takes a little research. The other misconception I would say is just kind of feeling like it's not worth the money to pay for disability but I think that that is really important. But I think sometimes people just forget, like they don't know that they need it. Because like you introduced the question with, when you are working at a company, they kind of tell you what you need. 
right? They're like, okay, we have this group health insurance policy, so we'll add you onto this. And we have this and we'll add you onto this. But when you're all on your own, you do have to like come up with knowing, oh, I actually need to think about insurance. But again, there are many companies out there that are veterinarian specific to help you find the best policies, whether it's health, life, disability, professional liability, general liability, umbrella policies, any of that stuff, there are companies that can help you with that. Mm-hmm. I did write something down, you said at the very beginning, talking about insurances was every veterinarian needs professional liability insurance. I see this a lot. People write like, my W-2 employee covers professional liability. You know, why should I have my own? What do you think about that statement? Well, if you're going to be working at different practices, it's your license. It's not the company's license. It's your license that you're protecting. It's your career that you're protecting. And so that professional liability insurance needs to be attached to you and not to the individual clinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's good advice. Even if you work for a practice that says, oh, you know, they take care of it for you. If it's not in your name as an individual, then you can't rely on being covered for sure. And I think going back to what you said earlier, Willie, about general liability insurance, I think that's up for debate. Because if you're a small animal relief vet and you're just going into a practice And like, yeah, you might have a separate business, but it's likely to be like a single member LLC. You know, if you ask an insurance agent, they're often going to say, yeah, of course you need more insurance. But I don't know about the general liability. Well, if you were a company with employees and you were sending your employees out Mm -hmm. to go on relief shifts, then yeah, you do need that. But for yourself personally, I mean, I don't have it. I don't have general liability. And, you know, and I don't know what would happen if I came in and I broke the ultrasound machine, you know, and the clinic sued me too for the cost of that machine or something. I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking of a scenario where maybe my general liability insurance as a business would come into play. You know, actually, someone else gave me this example. I was like, really? I just never even thought of that. But let's just say you came in as a relief vet, you did a terrible job. Every client that day gave a bad Yelp review and the practice sued you for ruining their reputation, you know, because your professional liability insurance isn't going to cover you for that. Your professional liability insurance isn't going to cover you if you break their ultrasound machine. But here's the thing with insurance. Insurance is risk versus benefit, right? Like if we had this like crystal ball and we could look into the future and we could say, I am going to get this illness on this date, it's going to cost this much money or what, whatever, then you could be much more educated or I'm going to pass on this date and I will have earned this much money by that time that I can pass on to my child. You could buy only the insurance that made sense for you at that moment, but that isn't reality, right? So insurance is a safety net. You're just assessing this risk versus benefit. And to me, the risk of me ruining a clinic's reputation or dropping the ultrasound probe, which is probably a much higher (laughs) risk, um, is, you know, the benefit of having some safety net to cover me in that situation is not worth it to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk more about Relief Rover. So what prompted you to start Relief Rover? And can you tell our listeners just more about it? So I kind of had a few evolutions as a relief vet. 
I started relief practice kind of just to look around and see what else was out there. I wasn't an escaper. I just was curious. And so I started relief that way. But then I had this shift in evolution where I realized, oh, wait a second, this can totally be a career. I'm a business to business service provider. And I love that the practice is my client. I love to serve my colleagues. So then that was a, a bit of a game changer for me. Fast forward many years, I was looking around and I was like, how can I be better at this? How can I be a better business to business service provider? And there were no resources for me. The only resources that existed at the time for relief vets were a few scattered regional staffing agencies, which really weren't a resource to help me other than to find me work, which I didn't need help finding work. I wanted to help. How do I level up as a relief vet? And nobody was talking about anything at conferences. There was very rarely was a relief practice written about in any of our veterinary media. So that was when the idea of Relief Forever came about. I couldn't find what I was looking for, so I decided to create it. And then another thing happened right around that same time where a single solo doctor practitioner in Truckee, California, which is near Lake Tahoe, which is beautiful, reached out to me on LinkedIn. And she said, hey, will you cover my maternity leave? I did not know her. She did not know me. I am sitting at my breakfast table in Florida. She's in the beautiful mountains of California. And I am just crazy enough to be like, sure, okay. <laughs> I literally shouted to my husband, hey, you want to go to Tahoe for the summer? And he's like, okay. And so I said, yeah, let's chat. We had a, I don't know, 20, 30 minute conversation, you know, had our little virtual handshake. And next thing I know, a few months later, we're off to California. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was a needle in a haystack. How is it possible that this practice owner in California found a relief vet in Florida? What are the chances? And that turned out brilliantly for both of us. So my other idea behind Relief River was that your pool of relief veterinarians are not just those in your backyard, that people have all sorts of reasons for wanting to move and travel and whether it's part-time or full-time, and that those connections could be much broader and much richer if we could bring these people together. So that was how I came up with Relief Rover. I wanted to support my colleagues who wanted to be relief veterinarians and provide them tools and resources to one, get started, and to two, level up if they were already doing it. And I wanted to connect them to opportunities nationwide. All right. Awesome. So what resources does Relief Rover provide and how has it grown over the past few years? So we are a community. So we basically connect relief professionals, vets and techs now as well. We connect them to a community, to each other. We connect them to discounts. So we partner with certain organizations. So with Fear Free, with Vet Girl, with Plums, just to name a few, to give them discounts. We do a lot of education. So we did actually have a course at one point with a CPA on 1099 versus W-2. What does that mean? So we will do webinars. We actually have some really cool DEA stuff coming up and also some contract stuff. Because one of the things that's been coming up for Relief Vets is, one, how do I make a contract? What should I put in that contract? But also with more corporatization of veterinary medicine, they are starting to receive contracts mm -hmm. that they're being asked to sign. And as you know, Many of us know legal language is just insane and it is impossible to read and it's, you know, likely purposely that way. <laughs> but 
So we're going to give some educational thing to help break down that language. So you can understand like, what am I reading? What am I signing? What makes sense for a relief vet? What, you know, may you want to push back on and how can you do that? So basically providing those kind of educational resources. We also provide an opportunity for you to feature yourself. We always compare ourselves to a dating site. So you can choose to make your profile visible or invisible to employers. And if you want to be visible, those employers can reach out to you about opportunities. If you want to be invisible, you can still apply to the jobs that are on the website. And we're always getting new jobs and not just clinic jobs. We've had jobs up there for people who need veterinary writers, for someone who needed an editor, for telehealth positions, consulting. So every now and then we get anyone who needs an independent contractor vet. We do not work like a staffing agency. I think that's really important to emphasize. We are a free platform for vets and techs, and then the employers pay a subscription fee. But we do not take anything out of a relief vet's pay. You know, you decide what you charge, you decide all of those things. Relief Rover doesn't take any kind of commission out of your hard work. Yeah, that's awesome because I think that's how we met for the first time. I mentioned Man, the research says in Relief Rover are amazing because I constantly see questions about W2, 1099, and then do I need a business entity or not? I did my own research. I'm like, oh, Relief Rover has quite a few blogs and information about this already. So that was a great resource. Thank you. You're welcome. So this is a financial podcast and you mentioned contracts and whatnot. I'm like, oh my God, I could talk about that for days. But so let's talk about compensation. Have you been seeing any trends in compensation recently? Yeah, I do think because the demand for relief veterinarians is higher and higher, relief vets are able to charge more and more. And I think it depends on your geography. You know, it depends on you know, whether you're working for a corporate or an independent. So sometimes that pay can vary. But I do think that in general, the pay for relief vets is going up. And what I often hear is I can make more money as a relief vet than I can as an associate. I think sometimes that may well be true. Sometimes it may not be true because it depends on what your compensation package is as an associate. And comparing, you know, like how much work you're doing as well. So we did create a tool, we call it the wage calculator on Relief Rover, which doesn't tell you how much to charge. And I do have thoughts on people deciding what to charge. But we have a tool on Relief Rover that prompts you to put in your business expenses, which is kind of helpful because it can trigger thoughts like, oh, I didn't even think about needing that, but they have it listed as a business expense. So this is something I should think about. So it prompts you to put in your business expenses, your personal expenses. And then it asks you, how many days out of the year do you want to work? And so you kind of figure that out and then it tumbles the numbers and it comes out with, if these are your expenses, your life expenses, and this is how many days out of the year you want to work, this is what you're going to need to charge per working day in order to meet that budget. So it doesn't tell you what to charge. So it may tumble out as $200 a shift, which clearly you can get way more than that. So it just means you'll make more money or you'll have more profit. If it tumbles out like you need to make $10,000 a shift, clearly that's unrealistic. So you're going to either have to adjust your expenses or you're going to have to work more days out of the year in order to meet that. But it's a handy tool to kind of help determine, is relief practice viable for me? 
So that's already out. The other thing we have coming out soon is we did a survey on what's the going rate, because that is the number one question I get from both hospitals and vets and techs. What's the going rate in wherever geography? So I don't know the answer to that either. So what we did is we sent out a survey. We got almost 600 responses from vets and a few hundred from techs. And so we are getting that data put into a visual format. It should be up fairly soon. And it'll be broken down into ER and GP, vet and tech per state. So again, it doesn't tell you exactly what to charge, but it gives you this range. Like this is what your peers are doing. When you think about what to charge, I think a lot more should go into it than what's that guy down the road charging? Because I really think people should develop a value proposition for themselves, especially if you're really going to do this as a career. You need to think about, well, what services do I offer? Am I doing consultations only? Do I love dentistry and I'm getting in there and doing some dentistry? Am I also a surgeon? Do I have any kind of specialty uh, certification? Am I like rehab, acupuncture, behavior, anything like that? Are you really well-equipped at doing ultrasound? These all factor in to what you should charge. And so I don't think every relief vet, what they bring to the table is exactly the same. And your fees should reflect that to some degree. Mm -hmm. Well, that's awesome that you're working on that survey and making that information available. I'm excited to see that when it comes out. And another thing that I have seen, and I don't know if you've seen this, Cindy, but for ER vets who are working relief that I would have thought five years ago wouldn't have even been possible is relief vets getting production sometimes. Have you seen that? I have seen that some, yeah, like where they'll come to some kind of arrangement and agreement where like I get this like flat rate no matter what, and then this much over if I produce over X amount. Yeah, I have started to see that more and more. It's certainly an interesting way to do it. And I think the thing to remember, there is no one right answer to this. And you've got to remember, you're a business. You are a business-to-business service provider, and it is up to you to develop your own business model, right? And if your business model is that you want to work on a flat rate plus production, or even if you wanted to work on production only, I mean, I probably wouldn't do that, but that's certainly you know, up to you. There is no one right answer for this, but there are a lot of ways to do it. And you may do something different depending on the clinic too. You know, so some of my clinics, I charge a flat rate, no matter what, you know, if I'm there, which rarely happens in these clinics, which is why I charge a flat rate. If I'm there an hour or two longer, I just don't sweat it. There are some clinics where I am like routinely there late. Those clinics are on hourly, (laughs) right? I charge them hourly because it just makes more sense for me and my business and, you know, my time. It can take a little thought to think through these things, but yes, I have seen that production. One of the things I would say about that though, I don't know if going out first as production-based only, you got to keep in mind, you don't have any control over their appointment schedule. Mm -hmm. They do. You also don't have any control over how they present you as a relief vet. So the front desk may be saying something, you know, like Dr. Smith is not here today, but the relief vet is, do you want to come in? You know, and then the clients are gonna be like, uh, no, wait till Dr. Smith gets back. Right. (laughs) Whereas if the front desk says, oh, Dr. Smith is out on a continuing education event, but our trusted colleague, Dr. Trice is here and she'd love to see you then you may have more appointments that day. 
you can advise on that, but you don't necessarily have control over that. So that is why most relief vets are like, mm, you pay me an hourly rate. I'm here. If I'm busy, I'm busy. If I'm not, I'm not. Through that, value yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so we're coming to the end here and I've been dying to ask you this question. You did a panel last year at VFS for travel hacking and you travel a lot. So one of my questions is, what is your favorite travel hack? I would say if you're traveling for relief work, never, ever, ever be afraid to ask your client, the clinic, well, you can either work it in that that's part of the deal is that they pay for your travel and your lodging. But let's say you're going somewhere for fun and you're going to pick up work while you're there. There's nothing wrong with asking if you can get some of those costs covered. So that's like my travel hack for work. My other travel hack is I literally pay for every single solitary thing that I can pay for on a credit card that gives me travel points, <laughs> <laughs> everything. <laughs> so, you know, I rack up as many like free tickets and hotel points as I possibly can. Yep. Again, I wrote a blog about that. <laughs> yeah. so. <laughs> How me and my wife went to Hawaii for $48. Right. <laughs> just because of all the points that we racked up. So yeah, thank, thank you for that. It's, it's been great to have you. How can our colleagues get connected with you? So they can go to reliefrover.com if they want to check out the website. Again, it's free for vets and techs to sign up. Even if you're just considering relief practice and you're not actually a relief practitioner, please, you're welcome to sign up, check out all the resources, poke around the page, and then hospitals can sign up for um, a monthly or annual subscription. To reach me personally, you can go to Cindy Trice, DVM at reliefrover.com. I'm totally an open book. I am happy to talk to anyone who wants to reach out and chat. Relief practice is my favorite topic. All right. Excellent, Cindy. So now we are at our last question. What is your best advice for our listeners? I guess my best advice for our listeners is to remember that if you're feeling stuck where you are, it doesn't necessarily mean that veterinary medicine is not for you. There is a whole world of things that you can do with your veterinary degree in clinical practice, there may be better places for you in clinical practice, or it may be something else. It may be entrepreneurship. It may be consulting. It may be speaking. It may be industry work. There are so many things you can do. So please don't feel trapped. And relief practice is honestly a great way to try before you buy. All right. Excellent advice. All right, Cindy, thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for your expertise. and. This has been fun. It has. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. If you liked today's episode, click the follow or subscribe button. And don't forget to check out vetfinancialsummit.com slash summit to learn more about the virtual Vet Financial Summit coming up in October. Until next time, take care and continue your path to financial success. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a legal or financial professional before making any investment decisions.